This is a more than just podcast production. Welcome to this podcast, season six, episode seventeen. My name is Tim. I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Jonathan Kuline in Mississauga, Ontario. Hello there, kids. And I'm also joined all by himself this time by Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? <laughs> He's so nervous. It didn't come out that effective, you know, by the way, in Jonathan when when I when I mixed it in post, but anyway. But I didn't get it to line up. <laughs> nice. I probably should have got. I probably should have cut you out saying, "Oh man, I missed it," because you know you obviously didn't because I fixed it in post. Oh, there you go. Anyway, so back on to the fact check, folks. Um, I yes, by the way, there are ads on Pluto TV. I mean, I can never be, you know, no one can ever, you know, land in court saying Tim pays attention to every detail there is, right? Because that's just not true. Um, like for instance, there are commercials on Pluto TV. I watched a few. I was doing some other work and. Um, I usually have the uh, the TV on in the background while I'm doing things if I'm like not paying attention to the television. So I put on some doctor, some vintage Doctor Who, and uh, watched it. And I did notice that there are commercials mostly for Paramount Plus. So I don't know if there's some connection between Paramount Plus and uh, Pluto, but uh, or they've just got a big spend on right now. I'm trying to knock that, you know, um, uh, Amazon Prime off their primo, you know, number two slot. Um, and anyway, just a side note on the Doctor Who stuff I watched, uh, it was a couple of episodes of, I think, one called The Dawn of the Daleks, which is uh, Tom Baker as Doctor Who versus that, I forget, the, the manifestation guy, the, he sort of looks like a Muppet, um, Dalek guy. And of course, you know, the Doctor Who fans are throwing their phones and out the window <laughs> right now. And uh, a little bit of John Pertwee as well. But what's interesting about the the early Doctor Who's, and that may be why they went back to this format for the last season of um, Jodie Whittaker's Doctor Who, is that every story doesn't end like in conveniently in 40 minutes. It continues on. It's kind of like it ends at a cliffhanger and then it picks up exactly at that cliffhanger um, the next week, right? So, mm-hmm. and the shows are short. I think they might be like half an hour long or cause they could seem like within an hour I could watch, you know, two or three episodes. Um, and the only thing about it is on Pluto TV is, is I, I went back a couple of days later and it was the same episodes running again. So it's not like they run them like other channels that run Star Trek where they'll just run them over. They'll keep going through the catalog until they get to the beginning and then over the end and then rotate that back to the beginning. This seems to just repeat. But I also noticed that Shows like CSI Miami and CSI New Zealand and CSI Scarborough, those are all <laughs> in heavy rotation on, on these, on different channels as well. And, you know, All in the Family and I think Happy Days was on there, Laverne and Shirley, you know. So, yeah, if you if you miss your uh, 70s and 80s TV, you can get your fix there, I think. Although I think the CSI stuff's in the 90s, isn't it? 2000s? Yeah, I would say it's probably late 90s, 2000s. I, I must admit, I, I haven't watched a ton of that stuff, but that that seems to be all right. Yeah, it's got that guy. Um, do you know, do you remember the Gary Sinise? That's just, that that yeah. guy. Yeah, it's got Gary, Lieutenant that Dan. Yeah, Lieutenant Dan. And he's also, I always think of him as the uh, the the guy who got chicken pox in Apollo 13 and didn't get lost oh, in space. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, Lieutenant Dan. So, but that CSI was from... Not that long ago, right? Where where he was sort of, I think, New York or whatever it is, I think. I don't know. Uh, yeah, again, I lost track. Yeah, n- nobody really cares on this show. So we'll move on. Uh, the other thing, too, is uh, as I was just listening to the show, as I was editing, and yes, I had heard of Daisy and whatever, the six, Daisy and the six, 
um, Jaime, you asked the other day. So I had heard of all three of those shows that you mentioned. Um, however, I mean, Daisy and the Six, I, I had heard, too, there's a bit of buzz around it at the time. Uh, but I don't know if that was just like promotion and commercials just trying to get me to watch it. But uh, it's kind of on, on the on the maybe list for me later. But definitely wasn't like peripheral was something I wanted to watch right away because it's sci-fi, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think in this case, you know, the struggle for the folks on this show, um, rather than being like the average person on the street, is probably pretty indicative of how the the marketing didn't quite work out for these shows. Like, it should have been an absolute, like, oh, yeah, The Boys. Oh, yeah, Stranger Things. Oh, yeah, Star Trek Discovery. It should be that level, right? For spending all this money. Yeah. For sure. All righty, let's move on to the headlines. As usual, Jonathan is up first. Yeah, I uh, I wanted to jump onto this one since this uh, was a very good week for uh, stuff we are fans of. As the Emmy Awards were announced this week, of course, this is one probably the highest honor the nominations? for yes. nominations. That's the nominations. Sorry. That's true. The nominations were announced this week for the 75th annual Emmy Awards, uh, and yeah, big week for for the stuff that we're into. So um, you know, the Star Wars series got a bunch of nominations. Uh, the Mandalorian got 22 nominations in total uh including uh and uh sorry andor got a nomination a bunch of nominations including outstanding drama so that's a big deal uh obi-wan kenobi got nominated for outstanding limited series i'm not sure if they actually watched it but sure um it was uh yeah (laughs) it it was a pretty impressive list so i'll just uh, i'll run through a few of them and you guys can let me know uh whether you have strong disagreement in here but uh outstanding drama series andor and house of the dragon and the last of us and yellow jackets uh which is sort of sci-fi adjacent thrillery horror uh are among the nominations, along with Better Call Saul, The Crown, uh, Succession, and White The White Lotus. Um, I'm super pleased to see Andor in there. I think we all agreed that that was the best show we liked last year. Um, and I think it was something that critics enjoy, but I think it was a little bit on the fringe for our, for sort of mainstream audiences, even for Star Wars audiences. I think there was people who were like, mm-hmm. why do I need to watch this? But it was so good. I'm, I'm glad it got recognized. I'm I'm thinking like the Succession or the White Lotus are probably the ones that are gonna run away with that one. Although I'd like to see better look out, better call Saul get it, but you know. Yeah, and we'll, and we'll we'll definitely explore this in a minute or two as we go through these categories. Uh, I feel like we're kind of in a bit of a as, and you you weigh in as we go here, but I feel like as you go through here, you'll see a trend of it kind of feels a little pandery. Like they've included a bunch of shows that we are big fans of and that sci-fi fans and fantasy fans are big fans of. However, it still feels like the deck is stacked against those things ever really truly winning. So I'd be, I'll be curious to see how these actually play out in the winners because you're right, Tim. I think. I looked at this list and was like, Andor's the best thing I saw last year. The Last of Us was incredible. I really enjoyed the White Lotus season I watched. I enjoyed House of the Dragon. That was great. Better Call Saul. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's impossible to think that like Succession or the White Lotus isn't going to win uh, for outstanding drama. Um, I, do, I do have a comment, though, about The Crown. Oh, yeah. Bring it in. Um, Dolores Umbridge, is that her name from Harry Potter? <laughs> well, that's the character's name, yeah. Yeah, her playing Queen of England just doesn't work. Uh, yeah, like, it's a Melda Harry Stanton, Potter right? has ruined her as an actress, right? Yeah, well, because <laughs> she was so good. Like she's such a talented yeah. actor, Melda Stanton. Yeah, but every time she, every time she just you know 
turned around and said something as a queen, I just, I'm like, why is she not wearing pink, you know? <laughs> yeah, some people just really uh, get uh, branded that way, but uh, yeah. So I'm going to skip over the comedies because that uh, is not really our area. Although oh, come also... on, uh, Miss, Ma Miss Maisel, the bear, oh, oh. Jerry oh. Duty, Barry's in there? That was the one, okay, so if we'll get into it, we'll get into it. So Abbott Elementary, Barry, the bear, Jury Duty, the marvelous Miss Maisel, Only Murders in the Building, Ted Lasso, and Wednesday. I watched a bunch of those. Um, Barry, I loved. I don't know that I would call it a comedy. If you were going to call it a comedy, I'd say extremely dark. Did you really think the last season was as good as the previous seasons? No, it wasn't. Season two was by far the best season, but it was also, uh, boy, that is straining th the idea of comedy. I mean, it's a dark comedy, but it is the darkest of comedies if you're, if you're going by season four. Yeah, especially the last episode, yeah. And I thought Wednesday was, was very humorous at times, but it was a murder mystery about, like, satanic killings and stuff. I still felt a little bit... I mean, it certainly wasn't a drama, but I don't know. It seems like these categories are a little bit too vague. Um, and Ted Lasso... I mean, I love Ted Lasso, but the third season was by far its weakest season. So, I don't know. So... I, if I had to pick one from this list, I'm probably going to... I think the bear is probably the, the strongest one here. Yeah, there's a lot um, of love out there for Abbott Elementary, and I must admit I have not watched it yet. But I know critics, I listen to some pods and read a lot, and I know some people just absolutely love Ab Abbott Elementary. As, as you're right, Tim, the bear is another one that people just adore. So I think for me, I do like the bear, but I feel like it's in a weird spot where I don't really think of it as a comedy series. Like, yeah, it's, it, well, if you worked in a restaurant, it's not a comedy system series at all. <laughs> I mean, I mean, how does this, you know, premise sound like, hey, uh, a guy who struggles with stress, you know, in, in fine restaurants takes over his brother's sandwich shop because the brother, you know, killed himself. Hooray! Funny. I'm like, no, it's like... Uh, That's a laugh it's, riot. It's less funny yeah, it's a than dramedy. dramedy is what I'd call that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Dramedy is probably probably close, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always the challenge of these categories is that if they're strictly going to define by drama and comedy, you really got to stretch. And so, yeah. Um, so lead actor in a drama series, this was a stacked category. So Jeff Bridges for The Old Man, Brian Cox for Succession, Karen Culkin for Succession, Jeremy Strong for Succession, Bob Odenkirk for Better Call Saul, good for him, and Pedro Pascal for The Last of Us. So I had some real issues with this, and I must admit, I haven't watched Succession. I understand people absolutely loved it, and I understand that all of those performers were apparently excellent in the show. However, yes. mm -hmm. three lead actors how can you be three lead actors in the same thing isn't the whole point of a lead actor that you either are a lead actor or a supporting actor how can you all be lead actors yeah no I, clue i had that issue with um this is us where mm -hmm. i was like wait a minute all of these characters can't be lead actors somebody's got to be supporting right like it doesn't yeah. make any sense and i i found it particularly frustrating because you know even if you just took one of those people left two other possibilities for other nominations i made myself a little list of what i perceive to be some emmy snubs uh patty Considine for house of the dragon was incredible um and you know okay was he the lead actor you can make a case maybe he's supporting okay fine fine i'll, I'll take that uh diego luna for andor yeah yeah 
you know, like another strong one. I just feel like three lead from the same show. Obviously, it's a credit to how good the show is and how great the performances are. But I just felt like that was a bit of overkill for my taste. Outstanding lead actress in a drama, uh, Sharon Horgan, Bad Sisters, Melody Linsky for Yellow Jackets, Elizabeth Moss for The Handmaid's Tale, Bella Ramsey for The Last of Us, Carrie Russell for The Diplomat, and Sarah Snook for Succession. Uh, nice to see, uh, obviously, from our world, um, Elizabeth Moss. I mean, she seems like she's going to get nominated anytime she makes a TV show because she's super talented. Um, Bella Ramsey, that was really nice to see as well. And uh, and Melody Linsky, I think we're all fans. So that was uh, that was kind of nice to see that that rundown. But again, I I haven't seen everything on here, so I don't want to impugn anybody else's performance. But I immediately went to like, what about Emma Darcy and Olivia Cook from House of the Dragon? They were both like, I thought Emma Darcy was incredible in that show, and uh, yeah, like that to me sort of stood out as like a bit of an omission. Uh, lead actor in a comedy series, Bill Hader for Barry, Jason Siegel for Shrinking, Martin Short for Only Murders in the Building, Jason Sudeikis for Ted Lasso, and Jeremy Allen White for The Bear. Uh, again, due respect to Jason Sudeikis, but, like, um, I'm not sure that was his best of his performances, so what are you going to do? I mean, if I had to, if looking at these guys, I mean, having seen, I think I've seen, I've seen all of these ones, right? I would say Jeremy Allen White, I really love him as an actor, but he, I don't think he stretched beyond... Um, shameless in this in this role um like i didn't see him as a different person kind of thing mm. um jason siegel played jason siegel you know martin short always plays martin short yep you know so bill Hader maybe yeah although again i thought season three you know i don't think it was his best i i didn't feel the con i mean he was more in delusion in season four than he was in that conflict that he was in the early seasons about his past and who he is and stuff i, I really think his best performances were were earlier in the series so it's hard to say and interesting that martin short got nominated but not steve martin for only murders in the building i thought that was i'm sure there's going to be some jokes about that i haven't looked up martin short's socials to see if he's making fun of him but that that seemed funny uh, lead actress in a comedy series, Christina Applegate for Dead to Me, Rachel Brosnahan for Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, Quinta Brunson for Abbott Elementary, Natasha Leone for Poker Face, and Jenna Ortega for Wednesday. Um, I was happy to see Natasha Leone in here. I loved Poker Face. I thought that was a great show. So I was really happy to see her in. I was actually, uh, when we were talking about best series, I'm, again, comedy, drama, dramedy, I... Really liked that show. I was disappointed it didn't get nominated for something more, although I was happy to see it get nominated in this category, at least. And Christina Applegate was amazing in the last season of Dead to Me. And she's got a lot of the uh, the sympathetic vote as well, because um, obviously she's dealing with a lot of health issues right now. So that's um, good. And Jenna Ortega, again, I thought she was fantastic at Wednesday. I thought she was really, really fun. This is where, again, things start to get a little off the rails for me. So Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Drama... Uh, F. Murray Abraham in The White Lotus, Michael Imperioli in The White Lotus, Theo James in The White Lotus, Will Sharp in The White Lotus, Nicholas Braun for Succession, Matthew McFadden for Succession, and Alexander Skarsgård for Succession, along with Alan Ruck for Succession. Seriously? <laughs> Seriously. At least, and again, you know, at least they're all supporting actors. They don't have any issues there. Of like, yep, supports. Yeah, but then again, okay, so they could do all that. Stellan Skarsgård for Andor would, in my opinion, and I, again, I haven't seen Succession. I did watch White Lotus. I thought the, all those performances were good, but come the frick on. 
Like, Stellan Skarsgård's performance in Andor was incredible. That one speech alone should have got him an Emmy nomination. What have I sacrificed? Everything. You know, like, oh. Mm -hmm. And again, go down the list. Like, there's, you know, you could put Patty Constantine in there for, for, you know, uh, House of the Dragon. There are other strong contenders. Um yeah, I just I, this this seemed a little unnecessary in my opinion to have them all stocked up like that. And following the theme, outstanding supporting actress in a drama series, Jennifer Coolidge, The White Lotus, Megan Fahey for The White Lotus, Sabrina Impacciori for The White Lotus, Aubrey Plaza for The White Lotus, Simona Tabasco for The White Lotus, uh, and then we also had Elizabeth Debicki for The Crown. Rhea Sehorn for Better Call Saul and J. Smith Cameron for Succession. Uh, like one, two, three, four, five nominees from the same show. And again, they were all great. I get it. They were all great. But how about Jean-Vievo O'Reilly as Mon Mothma in, in Andor? She was amazing. Fiona Shaw in Andor as, as Andor's mom was amazing. You could put... Olivia Cook in there. Like, there's so many people that could have fit in there. Five nominees from one show, really? Yeah, there probably does need to be, like, a limit for some of these. So I think for, like, lead actor, lead actress, I think you really should get, like, two. Because it's pretty unusual for a show to have four leads. Um, yeah. Not saying it couldn't happen, but just, like, make the controversy happen there. Of like, oh, they left out half of, you know... Gang of Four or whatever hypothetical show. And then same yeah. thing for supporting. Like, it can't be like that dude in the back row <laughs> at the stadium in that one episode. Like, it, that can't be, you know, the entire cast of White Lotus, the entire cast of Succession. It needs to be, nope, you get like two. Two per show. Pick them. Yeah. Do yeah. your best. Well, and, and to the point we mentioned earlier, when you look down these nominations, it's impossible to see either the White Lotus or Succession not winning. When it's stacked like this in these categories, like, again, amazing accomplishment to get nominated for some of the sci-fi shows we like, but there's no chance. There's no chance that that Succession or White Lotus doesn't win Best Drama. There's no chance. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, this is a long list, long list of um, nominations, and I think most of the people have tuned out of the show already, so let's move on, because... Yeah. Well, just a couple quick, quick other ones to flag. So Obi Wan Kenobi, best limited series. Um, th that one definitely sure. Okay, no, but whatever. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the um, let's see. There was a couple others in here. Down further down here. Da, 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 da. Oh, guest actor in a drama series. This one I thought was really interesting. So Murray Bartlett for Last of Us. Lamar Johnson for for Last of Us, Nick Offerman for Last of Us, Kivion Wood uh, Montreal Woodward Woodard for The Last of Us. Uh, I think it's interesting that Murray Bartlett and Nick Offerman, who played the the, yeah, the lovers the two, the in, couple, in yeah. Yep. yeah, are both nominated in the same category. I almost wish they would could split that one between the two of them because that was such a transcendent performance for both of them. Uh, and then guest actress in a drama series for um, Last of Us, Melanie Linsky, Storm Reid, and Anna Torv all got nominated as well, along with, so it was three Last of Us and three Succession. So again, lots of sort of stacked up stuff in there for for categories. It still does not give me a lot of hope. Um, and the other one I wanted to flag was outstanding television movie, Prey, the uh, the Predator sort of prequel movie that was on, um, I, was it Hulu in the States, Jaime? I think it was Disney Plus here. Man, I'm not sure. I'm going to have to look at like Just Watch or something to see. I'm starting to get the, uh, the the cloud of series on all these different shows. Sorry, all these different streamers. 
So I guess in summation, it was at surface glance, you can look at this list if you're a fan of a lot of different areas, including the genres we care about, and say, well, my, my show's got nominated. But if you think your shows are going to win, I think you might be disappointed on, on the day that these are announced. Like, it seems like the old standards are going are gonna to sweep these things. And then one last sort of note, I think, too, is Pedro Pascal for his performance on his Saturday Night Live got nominated as well. He got nominated for three, apparently. He got nominated for, for Last of Us for his guest appearance on SNL, and he got nominated for doing a voiceover performance on a um, on Patagonia, the the um, CNN documentary. So he got nominated <laughs> okay. for it's the first time he's been nominated for an Emmy, and he got nominated for three in the same year. Wow, cool, cool. Hmm. All right, let's move on to some Star Trek news because you know we're all about the Star Treks here. So it was certainly uh, frustrating for a lot of people when they announced that they were not going to be not only not going to be moving forward with season two of Star Trek Prodigy, but the fact that there was a physical release of only half of season one of the show. So as they pulled it off of Paramount and they pulled it off of Crave. Here in Canada, uh, your options for being able to watch even just that first season in totality were not uh, guaranteed. There was a story this week from uh, io9 that apparently there is uh, movement there. It looks like they're going to release the second half of season one for a uh, physical release, so Blu-ray DVD set. And it says, according to some pre-order listings that have gone up on places like Best Buy Canada and Amazon Canada, it looks like you're going to be able to get uh, episodes 11 through 20 on September 26th. So if you are a completist and you do want to have this, uh, you know, somewhere because you might want to rewatch it at some point, uh, yeah, you can... You, Theoretically, you're going to be able to actually purchase it, which is at least a small mercy. Now, if they could just find a way to get the apparently finished versions of the second season episodes out, that would be nice, too. But take what you can get. Yeah, it's good for, like, you know, showing your support so that they understand that it wasn't uh, whatever weird business decision that they made. It's always based on, on money. So if you could show that, hey, there actually is some money here. Like, there wasn't really time to do the kind of like you know send x item to the studio to show your support right so when things were were in doubt for uh for several shows they would find something like i remember for um uh for the orville it was like sending pickle jars to uh to fox to get them to continue the show so uh, there, there just was no time. It was a snap decision to just be like, it's done, remove it. So there wasn't really a time to do anything other than an online campaign and no time to do a, a physical mail-in campaign. So the closest thing you can do, I think, is probably buying these uh, these discs. Well, that's what we always say, right? Vote with your dollars. Uh, all right. New trailer, more fulsome trailer for Ahsoka Drop this week. The Star Wars series coming in... August, and we also found out that uh, they're doing a two-episode first-day drop on this one too, which is kind of cool. We didn't—I uh, don't think—knew that before that they were going to do two episodes on the first day. So that's cool. Coming on August twenty-third, uh, new trailer, a little more fulsome. We get a little bit more than just the sort of recap of Rebels. This one sort of goes a little further as far as some action. Uh, we see some characters interacting, some interactions between Ahsoka and Sabine, Ahsoka and Hera. 
Uh, we get our first full facial look at Thrawn, which we didn't get. We just got sort of the back of his neck in the in the teaser trailer. So here we get to actually see him. Although we don't get to hear him speak, which is disappointing because he's got such a wonderful, menacing voice. But uh, what did you guys take away from the the uh, longer trailer for for Ahsoka? It's interesting. I, I'm kind of curious that they have they haven't given away too much of the sort of dynamic between the, the three ladies, three key ladies. But um, yeah, it looks interesting. Uh, we'll have to see. I mean, because you know Sabine and Hera are quite you know prominent act or characters in Rebels, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so. Looking forward to it. It'll be interesting. Of course, we we all love Rosario Dawson, right? So, mm-hmm. how about you, Jaime? Yeah, I'm still still uh, catching up on um, on Rebels, but uh, excited excited for this one. So that was the big reason I decided to make my way through the four seasons. Yeah, I thought uh, it was interesting to see. You know, we we actually get to hear Ezra's voice uh, in the hologram that we see from the first teaser trailer. We get to actually hear, uh, you know, for the first time in live action, we hear Ezra as the little hologram speaking to Sabine. And we see Sabine wielding Ezra's lightsaber in in this one, too. So that, again, seems like an interesting development. Uh, There was always a bit of a hint because, um, you know, she does take up, uh, you know, uh, lightsabers in the in the Rebels series. It's really interesting to see her uh, in live action with that, that bright green lightsaber of Ezra's. But yeah, I think it looks, I mean, nothing's changed. I was like a hundred percent in on this one anyways, but, uh, but yeah, I think if anything now it's, uh, it's just a little over a month away and I'm super psyched for it. So it's great. Okay. Superman. We got, we were talking a little bit about Superman legacy. We talked about the fact that they're not going to redo just the sort of Superman origin story. This week, we got a little casting news, which was interesting. So they announced that uh, three new actors have been cast to play three key roles in Superman legacy. Uh, Isabella Merced is going to play Hawk Girl. And uh, what's his name? Edie Gathegi? Gathegi? Uh, is going to be playing Mr. Terrific and Nathan, Nathan Fillion, noted Canadian and very shiny man, is going to be playing uh, Guy Gardner, who is infamously a foul-mouthed schmuck of a Green Lantern, um, which is an amazing fit. I love, I love the possibilities of him playing this sort of jerk slash hero. I think that could be a lot of fun. And they a day later, they also announced that uh, we're going to get uh, from Barry, we're going to get um, uh, Anthony Kerrigan is going to be playing Metamorpho. And Metamorpho is, uh, again, a longtime member of the comics community as this uh, hero who can uh, turn himself into all these different elements. So, yeah, uh, interesting sort of bunch of characters. I am curious, though, because obviously, you know, you you both know who Anthony Kerrigan is. You both know who uh, Nathan Fillion is. You may or may not have heard of the other two actors. Does it does it in any way entice you? These four characters are not exact. It's not Wonder Woman, Batman and uh, and the Flash. These are starting to get into the sort of second slash third tier of DC superheroes. Are you in any way excited for this? No. (laughs) I mean, I don't know any of them, right? I mean, uh, yeah, uh, 
so having um, having Hawk Girl around from like you know Justice League is is pretty interesting. Mister um, Terrific, I gotta say I don't recall. I'd have to look up on uh, on Google, but. Uh, Guy Gardner is one of the Green Lanterns. I remember that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they they have all sorts of weird Green Lanterns. Like there's like a dog Green Lantern too, and like a planet yeah, Green and a Lantern pla- and so. a planet and all yeah, kinds of weird yeah. ones. Yeah, yeah. So having uh, having Guy Gardner and, and Nathan Fillion play that character seems pretty good. I, I am curious. I thought I thought for sure when they announced this sort of reboot of the, of the DC cinematic universe. I mean, I. I I know that they were talking about doing a TV series. They were talking about doing all kinds of different things around Green Lantern. I thought for sure if they were going to reboot Green Lantern, the first one we would see would be Jon Stewart because it's just a natural fit as one of the longer standing black superheroes, as well as one that has got a second life as a character in the Justice League uh, cartoon series that a lot of people, for a lot of people, he is Green Lantern. I I thought that that would be the first one they trot out, although I don't think having Guy Gardner in this movie is going to preclude them from doing that. I think it's interesting that that's the first one that they're going to trot out for this sort of reboot. And speaking of costumed characters, we got uh, a little bit this week that uh, we're going to get some... Another person showing back up in the exciting Deadpool 3 that sounds like it's going to be uh, more of a multiverse of madness than we saw with Doctor Strange. So news this week that Jennifer Garner is going to return as Elektra in the Deadpool 3 multiverse hopping all over the place story. Um, Of course, we already knew we were getting Wolverine from the X-Men, also Hugh Jackman back playing that role. Um, And this week we got a first look at him wearing the classic yellow and black uniform. A few pictures popped up across the internet uh, that were showing him in this uniform. People were pretty excited about that. And there's some rumors out there that, uh, that Ben Affleck may come back as Daredevil for this movie as well. It sounds like they're kind of, again, trying to embrace the idea that all Marvel stories are valid and therefore they can cross them all over. There's another story this week that uh, we're going to see the Scarlet Witch again. We're going to see a variant of her and that she may be connected to the Magneto character like they are in the comic books. So... It sounds like Deadpool 3 is going to be uh, quite the cameo fest as well as being quite the um, complicated multiversal thing. It'll be interesting to see how they pull all this together and make it make sense. But uh, but I like where they're going so far. Yeah, it's a bit odd. He's got the sort of the, the puffy, you know, I guess, protective armor uniform. But I mean, as opposed to the yellow spandex, which is what I kind of thought he was in the comic, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not a it's not a bang on one, but it's still. I mean, especially in the you know, it's been yeah almost twenty five years since we've seen the X Men burst onto the scene in live action, and that was a big deal. But they were deliberately getting them away from the sort of comics accurate costumes, and we've seen a few of them pop up more over the past number of years in different iterations. But uh, to come full circle on you know oh, we would never use those costumes, they're silly, to embracing the costumes is kind of an interesting evolution for the maturity of non-comic fans to be like, yeah, bring it in, let's let's go. 
All right. Um, I got one that's kind of interesting. We're coming back to the Barbie movie because we're all fascinated by that. Um, this one was uh, just popped up in my in my in my feeds about uh, a map that's drawn hand drawn map in uh, Barbie's house that has a controversial nine dash nine yeah nine dash line um, which um, separates. Uh, it has something to do with China and some um, property that they may or may not own and to, in dispute. And it was just interesting that it, it actually appears in the in, on the map of of uh, inaccurately drawn map. It was not quite the Mercator projection projection of of the world. But uh, yeah, they're, they're getting some heat over that particular line. Um, I don't know anything about it beyond that. Um, but yeah, it's something about something in the China seas that's some arbitrary border. Yeah, it's something that they they claim is their territory, but I guess the way that they colored the map, they colored things separately, and so they didn't color it the same color as China, so they're ticked off because they think that's theirs. And yeah. 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 Yeah, that's unfortunate. Yep. Another interesting sort of follow-up story for us is uh, Sarah Silverman um, is a comic that we, Jonathan and I, both like. I'm sure um, Jaime has a fondness for her as well. She's suing ChatGPT. Chat yeah, Sarah Silverman and another author by the name of uh, Richard Cadry are suing uh, the owners of OpenAI and Meta because, as we were talking about before, copyright you know infringement. Uh, they're claiming that their her um, book Bedwetter and his book Sandman Slim have been uh, parts of those books have been uh, co-opted by ChatGPT and turned up in in some queries. So yeah, so artists are starting to fight back and this is you know obviously a notable name in 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 terms of sarah silverman being the leading the charge there so interesting story to follow and we'll see how that, that one comes out okay uh we got some somewhat unusual news this week uh, james cameron has uh tipped the fact that they are going to be working on sequel a sequel to alita the uh, Alita Battle Angel, or Battle Angel Alita, if you're a, uh, a manga fan. The first movie didn't uh, wasn't the biggest movie of all time. Not didn't do gangbusters business, but apparently uh, he did an interview with Forbes. James Cameron did, and uh, yeah, he just pretty much said it. I'm I'm working on sequel or sequels to uh, Alita. Um. And it's because it came to the fact that he's selling his California house and they were saying, well, why? And he said, well, I'm going to be spending all my time in, in Wellington, New Zealand and um, and uh, in California or sorry, in um, Texas, in Austin. And he thought there's no point really having a place in Los Angeles if he's going to spend all his time there. And they said, well, well he said, I'm working on the new Alita Battle Angel films. He said, sir, with a plural. Um Jaime, I know you, you, you're, you're uh, at least uh, somewhat of a fan of this. What, uh, what do you make of the idea that this was, is or is not or should or should not have sequels? It's a strange choice because uh, you're right. I did, uh, I did like this. I didn't think it was a must-see, but I thought it was pretty solid, especially given that you know, I was one of the people who watched the trailers and said, oh my gosh, this is going to be trash. But it's actually really good. It's got some heart. Um, you know, it is like in the 60s when it comes to Rotten Tomatoes for the critics, but it's like in the 90s for fans. It had mm -hmm. a budget supposedly of about 170 million U.S. made worldwide, around 400 million. So it's not 
it's not a loser in money. It's not, you know, you're not going to get super rich as a as a studio doing it. So I I think they, you know, they ended it in the first one where it's kind of like the first Star Wars A New Hope movie where, like, you can make more stories here, but you feel satisfied that you got an ending, right? It doesn't feel like a cliffhanger. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be up for watching these, but I, I probably won't go to the theater for them. I'll probably watch them on streaming or, or possibly rent them kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I still haven't made the time for it. I like, I like Rosa Salazar. I think she's really good. I've seen her in some other stuff. I enjoy her work and I always thought, Oh, I'll, I'll totally fire that up one night on Netflix. I just haven't found that night yet. But, uh, yeah, I was, I was a little bit surprised. I'll be honest. When I saw <laughs> when he's talking about not just a sequel, but sequels, I thought, Oh, did it, did it do that? Well, so yeah. Interesting. Next up, uh, this one I just wanted to mention because it made me laugh. The uh, the Boys, one of our favorite shows. Uh, they are adding The Boys, there are three of them anyways, to Call of Duty. Uh, Homelander, Starlight, and Black Noir are all going to have, uh, of course, modeled after Anthony, Anthony Starr, uh, Aaron Moriarty, and Nathan Mitchell are going to be in uh, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 and Warzone Season 4 uh, starting uh, this week. So if you are a fan of the boys, there is a very weird <laughs> crossover. Apparently you can yeah use your COD points to, to, to buy these characters. Um, yeah, very strange choice, but uh, I must admit I haven't played Call of Duty in a, in a number of years now. I know it's still pretty damn popular, so uh, interesting. Uh, would this entice either of you to want to play this game? No, but is Call of Duty like an army, like per- first-person shooter thing? Yeah. That is, okay. it's one of the more popular series and spinoff series around, so it's not a thing that uh, that I'm into. I've never been personally into Call of Duty, but I acknowledge that uh, probably on the outsider sort of looking in, because there's definitely a lot. It's like if they didn't go to Call of Duty, it would have been Fortnite, right? It's kind of like yeah. the Pepsi Coke kind of thing. Yeah. Interesting. So, I mean, the Homelander is just going to show up and laser eye everybody? Or what? I guess. I guess that's the idea. Is that I, And we've seen those in those sort of like faux movies and faux trailers and stuff that they do inside the show, that there's sort of this mythology they build about them, you know, fighting battles for America and doing all these things. But yeah, it's. It, it, I guess the idea is that, you know, you can you can be these ones and go into battle with, you know, superpowers. So, sure. Okay, that's a power up, eh? Yes. Yeah, I guess if you're used to just, you know, carrying an automatic weapon, I think being Starlander, uh, Skylander, Homelander or or Starlight would be uh, definitely uh, an advantage. All right. And this one's a real quick one. Um, Wonka, the the, uh, Timothy Chalamet version of Willy Wonka is uh, had a trailer come out this week and um, looks interesting, but uh, it's sort of sort of in the sort of sci fi fantasy realm for us. Hopefully it'll be better than the uh, Johnny Depp version of the Chocolate Factory or whatever it was called, um, which was okay, but it wasn't definitely not uh, Gene Wilder, you know, kind of uh, impact, right? Yeah, when my kids want to get under my skin, they they tell me that uh, they thought that the Johnny Depp version's better than the Gene Wilder one. And really? Then wow. I okay. crack my teeth trying not to yell at them. <laughs> well, kids yeah what do they know eh yeah so and a couple of a couple of oppenheimer stories one is i don't know if this is just a clickbaity tr- um like title but apparently uh, critics are early critics are blown away by oppenheimer so apparently it's quite the flick um yeah anyway so that's that's interesting um 
we wait, wait and see and what, what happens with, with that one when it comes up. But this just in, um, I just read on Twitter that the cast of Oppenheimer today walked out of the premiere as they are joining the actor strike. So apparently they entered the, uh, the cinema early and uh, knowing full well that they may end up walking out. And, and apparently uh, Nolan is also, Christopher Nolan is also supporting, supporting the effort as well. Well, that's an interesting sort of um, development. I don't know if you guys saw today, but the the actors have joined the writer strike. The right? mm-hmm. uh, SAG, I, I don't know how to say the second word. Aptra. Uh, ab, is it Aptra or Aftra with an F? Aftra. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So strike continues. I mean, and you know, there's all these people crying on crying over spilt milk on. Um, on uh the socials about you know now we'll have to wait for all our shows to come out and you know sorry but you know this is real life <laughs> well you know? that segues perfectly into this this little also real-time follow-up so the uh announcement came about the strike and uh that allowed us to get a little bit more details on some of the issues that are going on this one i found fascinating and i, I think you both will too so apparently um the AI proposal put forth by the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers uh, was made public as part of the strike announcement today. Uh, I've linked a story in here from io9. It is basically the perfect illustration of why the actors and the writers are freaking out about what's going on right now. So uh, the uh, the... AMPTP, Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, allegedly uh, have said that (laughs) they proposed that background performers should be able to get scanned, get one day's pay, and their company should own that scan, their image, their likeness, and should be able to use it for the rest of eternity in any project they want with no consent and no compensation using AI. Um, Holy moly. That is a bonkers thing. Now, I got to admit, I love the idea of just being like a back, like a red shirt on a Star Trek show and being like showing up in things ad infinitum for like 100, 200 years to come of like, there's that guy again. He's been in everything. Yeah. But that is a freaky development. The idea that they're talking about like basically eliminating the role of a background actor or an extra by just yeah. scanning people, giving them a stipend for their, for their look and then sending them on their merry way and using their appearance wherever they want, whenever they want for whatever they want with no say. And you, you basically signing away your likeness rights. That is crazy. Yeah, that is crazy. Yeah. A friend of mine's actually, he's been in a lot of movies and TV shows as a, he looks kind of like a biker kind of guy, I guess, you know. Um, but yeah, he's been he's he's been an actor, actor, sorry, an extra in tons of movies. So that would I'm sure that would be would be annoying for him unless they're going to pay him a, like a king's ransom for that that likeness, you know. Um, I kind of dumb. I don't get the impression that a king's ransom is on offer here. Yeah, no, no, doesn't sound like it. I think that's the whole. But I mean. I don't know. It, this happens in every industry, unfortunately. You know, they they think you know, oh, let's you know, let's go build computers in China, you know, and and it'll be so much better, you know, until we have something like a pandemic come along, and then nobody can get chips, and yeah, now nobody can buy their cars and stuff. But I mean, like anyway. But the 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 point is that in business, they're always looking for a way to cut costs, and and if 
having these pesky extras in the show. I mean, look at look at the TV shows that are coming out now. Like like we talked about Barry season four, right? Clearly filmed during the pandemic. Oh god, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. Because there's like three people on set, you know, <laughs> and they're probably living in a trailer the entire time that they're 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 shooting. So all all the shows that we're seeing on TV these days, if you look, there's there's not like a hundred people in the background, you know, in in a lot of these shows. It's just you know, it's it's a couple of actors in a room or a boat or. Or whatever, because that's all they could they could really you know could do during the pandemic. But yeah, safely that is. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just this this sucks. I mean, well, I mean, like, um, what about all those unpaid uh, extras in the Lord of the Rings? You know, all those little CGI guys that ones and zeros running around in all those battles and get paid. You know? I yeah, know. I mean, just... I I don't have an issue with them using CGI generated characters if you know yeah if we're talking about the scope of a battle or a battlefield or whatever but the idea of of paying somebody a pittance for their appearance and yeah like i don't know i mean i struggle with it a background actor is a performer they are doing something then they are compensated for their work and for their likeness would it make a big difference to me if they were you know cgi i can't say that it would although it's nice to see a mix of diversity, but then you'd think they would continue to do that. I, I'm it's strange. It's a really strange thing. Yeah. Yeah. It is a strange thing. I'm just saying, I'm um, gonna put it out there. I think this is a chance for the three of us to get onto star Trek. You know what I mean? Just we'll like, we'll let, let them scan us. Sure. We'll appear in some like, you know, depends commercials in a few years, but that's worth, I think us getting our chance to be on star Trek as extras. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe, you know, the, the aspirations for, for us non-professionals is to become the equivalent of the Wilhelm scream. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's like, oh, there's high making. What, what do you mean? Look at the bus driver. Oh, it's totally him. <laughs> yeah. Did you see the waiter too? What? What about the guy who got blown out the airlock? Whoa, really? Yeah. Well, and what about like the good luck charm people like uh, John Ratzenberger being in all the Pixar stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, somebody might be like, I'm, I'm superstitious. I'm always going to put this one or two background performers. They're going to be like Rosencrantz and Gilderstern in, in uh, you know, shows that just like, oh, this one director always includes these two scanned people in, the, in their show or something. You know, like, it, it's just, it's a weird concept. Oh, the Starbucks coffee cup. But speaking of the Wilhelm screen, I did I did want to point out that before we left this this section of the show and before Jaime mentioned it, it actually is used in Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Well, I'm glad they kept that tradition at least. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. Because it, we haven't heard that in a while, but yeah. Cool. All right. Well, let's move on to the Star Trek part of the show where we talk about Star Trek Strange New World Season 2 Episode 5 charades which are important charades are important <laughs> and uh, well, let's get into the pitches of it all <laughs> what have you got? Hi, may you want to go first? yeah mine is if I was doing the elevator pitch to an exec that wasn't really paying attention so imagine it's Tom Hanks Big meets Freaky Friday meets yeah. 1986's comedy Soul Man as oh, a God, shuttle yeah. accident turns Spock 100% even <laughs> well that is a deep cut but a very worthy, worthwhile one good job it, it really came to mind, and, and if you Google for the for the kiddos on the show who listen to the show, I should say, um, 
you know, if you wonder, Soul Man, there are many. I'm talking 1986. <laughs> this is about a white man, a, a college student, who pretends to be black in order to qualify for a scholarship. It is yeah, in an a era... heartbreakingly bad movie now in retrospect. Yeah, I mean, it is one of the epitomes of blackface in a more oh. modern era. So Or Tootsie, I guess, too, right? Yeah, I... I mean, in this case, it was hypothetically to to get this particular advantage, which I guess kind of makes sense with the shuttle accident turning Spock 100% human. So that's where I went with that. It's it's kind of a mixture of those. What happens when you're a child who becomes an adult? <laughs> what happens when you're a white man becoming a black man <laughs> living in another race? So. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because you stole my Freaky Friday thing, but but it's interesting because we had we had several tropes in in this show. We had we had the transporter accident. You know, he, he practically became two Vicks, right? Um, we had the uh, the gaseous, you know, anomaly life forms, right? And we had a wormhole, which we haven't had since Deep Space Nine, really. Mm. Oh, and and I guess uh, First Contact. What's well, your what's your uh, your pitch yeah. there, John? My pitch was, uh, <laughs> it's Guess Who's Coming to Dinner Part 2, The Human Boogaloo. <laughs> yeah, Guess Who's Coming to Dinner was also on my uh, my list, and I went with a, a different alternative, but yes. You know, so my, 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 other, my other pitch is, ah, uh, uh, the prequel problem. Yeah, this one definitely was the, f- it was the first time in this season where I was like, oof, prequel problems. Yeah. Yeah. Because we we have been praising this show for the fact that it was really for our prequel, steering clear of the prequel problem. And this week it it steered into the skid, as Spock said in this episode, twice, uh, twice, yeah. But it, yeah. boy, it it hit the wall pretty hard on the prequel problem. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because there are. I mean, we're talking about the two the two thing two things actually. One is I think when um, what's it called a mock time, right? Mm-hmm. The episode of a mock time. The fact that there is there is no history of Spock and his and his personal you know the 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 Ponfar period of time in a Vulcan's life and and the fact that he'd secretly or he'd never really talked about the fact that he was engaged to to Pring. I mean, every time they bring her on the show, I'm like, ugh, they're wrecking that the plot line because it was such an interesting. What is wrong with Spock? What could possibly be wrong with Spock? Kind of thing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you know it's revealed, and then the whole thing where she really wants to get it on with Stan, and instead of instead of Spock, uh, you know, because he's much more Vulcan-like, whatever. So that, so that, so anytime they bring her onto the show, they mess with that plot line. And the other one is Christine Chapel's longing to have any kind of relationship with Mister Spock in the original series, yeah. right? Yeah, it was. It it felt like much more longing i don't know how they reconcile the longing that she definitely had in the first original series with the consummation we saw in this one yeah exactly yeah yeah i mean not not that it wasn't good this was very satisfying and it was really well done and the chemistry between ethan peck as spock and and jess bush as chapel is crackling it's excellent they're great but it if you're a long timer if you're sort of into the lore it it just it's it's a little itchy it's a little off i mean even even seeing spock as a human i mean that you know like how do, how do they rectify that you know with the, the the interplay between kirk mccoy and spock in the, in the original series because you know there's always that sort of like 
there's a black and there's a hard line between being Vulcan and being human because McCoy's always pushing at Spock, right? About that, right? Uh, my my alternate elevator pitch would be something like um, with with love and respect to all the uh, Friends fans out there. We were on a break. Yeah, yeah. Because um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to parse Vulcan conversations. But my impression wasn't that uh, Tsipring was saying, like, we're done here. She was saying, I think we need some time apart. Yeah. Which they were going to have already. And then, like, as soon as she clears the transporter pad, he's like, I'm going to go see Chapel. Mm-hmm. Bit of a... Bit... Yeah, because all of a sudden now that he's back as a Vulcan, he can't control the emotions that he's trying to keep under wraps, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I don't know. I... I, I've heard a lot of people try and justify uh, their behavior in a lot of different ways, but uh, that one, it's kind of stretched credulity a little bit. Yeah, it was a little, little, little off. Mm -hmm. What, uh, what, what, what was your pew pew pews? What did you guys like that was pew pew pewing in this one? I liked the 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 um, the interview part where she mm. had to fight against that that one guy, and he's like, he just sort of like doesn't she's practicing all week to to do this interview thing and then he in a very vulcan way um just immediately dismisses her without even asking her a single technical question right yeah um i've been on job interviews like that no jaime has too um <laughs> but um and and then the the rebuttal her rebuttal is really really good you know you're not ready for me kind of thing right just and and really teasing at him to you know i interview a, a life form that you've never even seen before or spoken to in Three hundred three thousand years or whatever it was, right? Mm. I wasn't really, imp I wasn't impressed. I wasn't going to say I wasn't really impressed with the the mother-in-law. She was just annoying. <laughs> <laughs> she sounds like someone who might have had a mother-in-law in the past. <laughs> mm. Yeah, not your grandmother. Your grandmother was a great mother-in-law. <laughs> good save. Good save. There's definitely some, uh, you know, cool visual effects and stuff with the. The Krakovians and the uh, you know, space anomaly and stuff, but the the pew pew pews were more metaphorical than anything mm -hmm. in my mind. With the the mother in law just just sending you know rip after rip after rip, and the the father in law like clearly having to step in line, like he doesn't think the no, same, yeah. but he kind of has to adjust his alignment to be like, oh yes, I guess it is a little too salty, or oh yeah, I guess I can smell that smell now. <laughs> yeah his uh his yeah falling in line this savat savat i think was the name of the the of uh, uh to dad and yeah every time every time his wife says something he's just like yes yes i, I see your point whatever you say dear yeah yeah i i had the um just the the way to prill and to pring we're having this little sort of you know i know you disapprove of my choices mother i don't care what you think Versus the I judge you and uh, I question everything that you're do you're doing mother daughter relationship to see that played out in like just the coldness of, of Vulcans was was really fun because you know um, I I I am not a woman and I don't have um, uh, that mother daughter relationship but I certainly have seen that play out in real time as I'm sure you both have too and uh, mm -hmm. it's, it's never not funny. As long as you, as, long as, okay. you, as the, the dude, never say anything about it. Never acknowledge it's happening. Yeah. You know, in terms of Easter eggs, um, the, uh, you know, Spock's quote that I guess is kind of ties into of, like, 
you know, the scent of humans is something most Vulcans become used to. Mm. Besides being an interesting quote, it's also, in my opinion, an Easter egg because that's a callback to, to Paul on the TV show Star Trek Enterprise mentioning that of like having to get used to being around humans and the the smells emanating from us and the meat that we often tend to eat as being an issue for Vulcans. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah, actually, it didn't. Uh, I thought it kind of tweaked, but I couldn't place if that had come up before. So, yeah, no, good call. I uh, the only thing I flagged was just when uh, <laughs> I thought Anson Mount was hilarious in this episode as sort of trying to be the host. He's made the food. He's trying to be polite and respectful, but also he's sort of making these sort of funny comments. He, you know, the whole thing with the charades, um, you know, at one point when, you know, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, oh God, what did I say the guy's name was? Savat? Savat? When the two of them are talking and he's like, you know, how about some more food? And he's like, snaps his fingers and he sort of points at him. He's like, yeah, you got it. I thought he was really funny, but he's wearing the, the William Shatner sort of open collared green, uh, uniform, that sort of casual uniform. I don't even know how to describe it. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? Cause he wasn't wearing his, he wasn't wearing his formal uniform and he wasn't wearing his casual, like his everyday yellow. He was wearing that sort of, light green one that's sort of open at the neck a little bit it's something that uh, shatner used to wear in the original series oh yeah 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 the green one yeah the yeah, green one yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah and so that one to me it sort of that was a really nice callback to the like captain's uh off, casual off wear duty, yeah. kind of like yeah. yeah it's like the polo shirt it's the captain's polo shirt but that that one sort of struck me as like oh he looks very uh william shatner-esque in this episode and he was yeah he was hilarious he was so funny in, in so many of those scenes too i think he's an underrated funny actor Mm. You had the the, the um, who's the guy with um, Johnny Bravo with the hair? Oh yeah, Johnny Bravo. Yeah, he had that. You know the the big pompadour going. Yeah, he did have some time. high hair, but then that's always a running joke too about his hair, right? Mm-hmm. The pompadour. How high can it go? Mm-hmm. You know he. We don't really have a um, a potential meme category, but from the quote that leads into this when it's like you know spock saying it must be very embarrassing for this ritual to have been performed by a human not a vulcan just throwing it in the mother-in-law's face uh, the potential meme opportunity was pike approaching with a plate of food realizing what spock is doing and then like turning oh, away that was great of, it's the new donald glover bringing the stack of pizza boxes and seeing the fire right <laughs> it's that sort of situation yeah yeah no that's a great one you're absolutely right um my big question for this episode is is what i'm gonna put to the two of you how many strips of bacon could you eat before you got sick because we see the scene where <laughs> spock a lot discovers bacon and he's like it's salty but it's chewy and it's also crispy and i was like damn i could go for some bacon but uh, yeah and he starts shoveling it into his face and pike sort of says uh, maybe you want to pace yourself there and he's like why and he's like why do why do i feel nauseous uh how many pieces of bacon could you eat before you started to feel sick? These days, not many, but yeah, a lot, I think, in my day. 
I'm not sure on the quantity, but I think I could have eaten more than he did, which in fairness <laughs> to him, he's probably not accustomed to consuming that kind of quantity, right? Like you, if you go like full vegetarian for a while and then you try to eat meat, I think your gut is like not you know, prepared to handle the, the digestive uh, needs there. So I give him a little bit of a pass there, but I think I could do more than that before I felt nauseous. <laughs> well, that sounds like a competition to sometime in the future we can work on. Um, any other big questions? Is is six seconds after his uh, fiance leaves on the transporter pad too soon to hook up with the hot nurse? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Asked that already. My my question there was written as: uh, Is Spock running from his troubles and seeking sanctuary in the chapel? <laughs> ah, I love it. Yeah. And, uh, actually, now that I think about it, there's a. I don't think this really counts as an Easter egg hunt unless it turns out to exist on the uh, the, the Star Trek shop. But was uh, Spock's regulation issue Starfleet beanie or Latouk, if you prefer? Mm. Is that a real thing? Is that like real merchandise that they just slapped on his head? Because <laughs> in, well, in it had canon, the, it, it should be triangle on the on the center, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it had a. a a delta on it, right? Yeah. And this episode well, actually, that's, an, that's another trope because they used to throw the toque on Spock's head when they wanted to hide his ears when yeah. they went to, down to planets and stuff, right? So yeah, yeah, it's true. That's you're right, Tim. That's actually a pretty good Easter egg catch by you. It uh, it was definitely something they did on multiple occasions in the original, and even in you know Star Trek Four, they wrap the band around his. He tears the piece off his robe, but he wraps it around his ears, right? Yeah. yeah. You know, there's a couple of different um, ways this could have gone for this episode that I can see why the writers stayed away from because it gets into uh, hilarious politics. So remember, the whole reason the Krakovians changed Spock is that they saw two passengers in the shuttle and given that they're so alien to what we are, they said, oh, this one has something different about them let's change it to be the same as the other one so they made both human but it was a man and a woman so they could have both made them you know made both of them male made both of them female and do this weird gender bending thing but then yeah. it gets even funnier again with we talked about soul man of like what if it was spock and dr mbenga in there and now oh, <laughs> which no. way do you want to play this <laughs> whoa whoa <laughs> How much melanin is the right amount of melanin? Exactly. It's like, who's turning white and who's turning black? What's happening here? Are they going to do half and half? Is like a weird, like, uh, prequel. Well, they, they did that with Tuvix, right? Because yeah. Tuvix is sort of a half mulatto kind of character, right? Hmm. Yeah, I, uh, yeah, this could have gone off the rails. It's funny because we've been talking all season about how they're sort of paying homage to the best tropes of Star Trek and doing a really great job. This was no different, right? This was another one of those, like, what if something quirky happens to one of the characters and they're not re really themselves? Uh, you know, that was definitely uh, an old school Trek trope. Um, but again, it also, it also had a, really well there's, a, there's a, there's an episode of, um, uh, Twilight Zone, where they they're the doctors are surrounding a patient. They're all going, "Oh my God, you know what have we done? You know we we tried to fix it, but we can't fix it." And turns out that you know in the story they all have distorted faces, and she looks like a normal human being. Yeah, like, kind of like you know yeah. the girl on the Munsters, right? Where she's the one the one girl who's just a regular regular human being, and they the family sees her as the freak you know kind of thing so they kind of played that where i for a while i'm thinking like what did they make him a half machine or something like you know 
when he's lied, laying back on the bed and they're all kind of looking at him going, ooh, don't show him a mirror, you know, kind of thing. But I mean, they could have, they could have turned them into binars too, right? Because they could have just sort of said, you know, let's reassemble them. It's almost like Vina, the way they put Vina back together mm. in, in the cage. They didn't, they never had a model of what a human being would look like. And that's why they made her the way they did, right? But she was still good enough for Christopher Pike. <laughs> um... This was a quotes machine. There were so many funny lines. Uh, Ethan Peck as as Spock got most of them. I'll throw a few out. I'm sure you probably both have some as well. Uh, not to be indelicate, Captain, but the smell of humans is something most Vulcans must become used to. Um, I feel angry and powerless and annoyed and weirdly hungry um, when Spock becomes human. Do I smell more human? Uh, when he chews down all the bacon, why do I feel nauseated? Uh, and and the funniest line, I think the one the one that is speaking of memeable things. Don't test me, Kirk. I will break you. <laughs> when he's mad at George. Yeah. <laughs> Not cleaning up his mess. Yeah. It's because he's in the middle of a presentation. Like that was really funny. Um, when when. I thought that the scenes, again, not much screen time, but I thought the scenes where they had Una and Laan and Uhura and Ortegas all interacting with Spock, when he, that scene where they're telling jokes and then he starts laughing, the scene where they're trying to teach him how to be more like himself as a Vulcan was very funny. Very funny. Um, all of them doing like Ethan Peck as Spock impersonations in front of him was very funny. There must have been a lot of outtakes of that because that was really funny. But Ortegas took the cake with, notice how I move my eyebrow, but no other muscles in my face. That was pretty good. <laughs> um, Spock, I have spent two, the last two days with my mother. I can stomach no more formalities from Tepring. That was, again, just yeah, yeah. the summation of um, mother-daughter relationships, it seems. Uh, when Spock excuses himself to go scream into a towel after being told what a piece of poopy is by his uh, to-be mother-in-law, uh, he gets up and excuses himself, and she says a Vulcan should have a more resilient bladder. I thought that was, like, the most biting insult you could throw out. Like, she's literally criticizing his bladder now. Uh, nice poignant line from uh, Amanda. It's not easy being a human who loves a Vulcan. Of course, that definitely ties back in. And then uh, Spock with just that moment when he's with uh, with Chapel, a really sweet moment where uh, he says, I want to feel this. They're talking about having feelings and, and Vulcans having feelings, but suppressing them. I thought that was probably about as romantic a, a line as you're going to get out of uh, a Vulcan Spock. Um, the other question that i didn't circle back to i'm just going to circle quickly to is um do they think that we can't tell that mia kirshner who was back from playing amanda grayson from her appearance in discovery uh that we wouldn't notice that she's 48 and ethan peck is 37 yeah yeah i kind of wondered that she did look kind of young relatively speaking like that's uh you know i'm pretty sure that there's some math issues there and then in, in fairness, uh, Mia Kirshner is aging beautifully. She's still a very, very attractive woman. And mm -hmm. it's not like she looked significantly older than Ethan Peck in this case. Uh, now, Ethan Peck at 37, I think, is he is portrayed and made to look a little younger on the show. But 11 years is not a lot of difference to be mother and son in a show. No, that's true. But yeah, you're doing math again. Yeah, sorry. I know I, I, I fall into math pits from time to time. But it's not an uncommon thing for for um, 
parents and children to be on television and in movies to be too closer to age than than realistic but yeah uh and just one quick shout out i thought uh gia sandu uh toronto native playing to bring was great again i think she's really good i like mm-hmm. her mm-hmm. it's nice to see some uh indian uh vulcans i thought that was you yeah, know true obviously she is is but when her mom came out and her dad came out and they were also uh you know south asian i was like yeah excellent well the dad the dad played a typical south asian father he's like you know hey do you want to try these snacks out yeah i'd love those snacks and the wife goes oh those aren't traditional they're not curled properly and (laughs) yes you're right my dear you know (laughs) yeah you you recognized a few patterns in there did you oh yeah i think i think anybody of of south asian um heritage would recognize it and it's you know it's funny it's funny that they're using south asians to play vulcans because that kind of dynamic about you know if you listen to interviews by simi lu and and the lady that rode turning red i mean they're all their Asian parents are like that. They're just, you know, you have to become a doctor or a lawyer or whatever. You have to marry the right person. You have to have an auspicious date for your wedding. You know, you can't, you know, you can't bury a person on such and such a date because of blah, blah, blah. I pick arbitrary reason number 12, you know, that's the day the cows come back from the orchard or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> it, no, seriously, literally like those, those kind of stupid rules. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, again, truth in art, right? Yeah, I well, yeah, I suppose. But I mean, but by the same token, though, if you remember all the 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 grief they took over the Phantom Menace with those characters who were obviously, or I don't know if they were trying to be Japanese Chinese kind of thing, you know, those the guys at the very beginning, and um, they just came off wrong, even though they were supposed to be some alien race, you know. The yeah, the, yeah. What are you gonna do? Yep, it's the fine can't line. Win, sometimes can't right? win for trying. Can't win for trying. Yeah, yeah. Speaking of can't win for trying, let's move on to Secret <laughs> Invasion. Interesting segue. All right, let's see where that goes. Secret Invasion, Beloved, Season 1, Episode 4. Are we expecting more than one season for this show? No, um, no this is one and done. I, I, there's no there's yeah. no logical way. Yeah, so what do you got for your uh, your pictures there? I do have a couple of issues about this episode, but yeah, we'll get to those. Mine's short. I just wrote Fury Road. Oh, I like it. I like yeah. it. Yeah. I had uh, I had Fury versus Fury. Who walks away? Yeah, but I didn't really have a pitch for it. But yeah, it was a lot of a lot of pew pew in this one for sure. And in a short episode too. It's funny when I sat down to watch it, I thought, oh, it's this is the shortest episode so far of the the four we've gotten. I thought, I wonder if this is just going to be sort of you know uh, a bridge episode. But no, it was the opposite. It was more pew 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 than anything else. Yeah, and and they well, it was short because they had you had already revealed some of the some of the plot points in previous episodes of this show, right? So. <laughs> Like you were right about Emily Clark, okay? You were right about Rhodey. Woohoo! Yeah, I love this. My favorite <laughs> phrase on the show. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We lost a couple of key characters, which was, or at least one anyway, that was kind of disappointing, surprisingly disappointing. No, and, and that Ben Mendelsohn in, in other things I've seen him in has always been a bit of a jerk, but in this one, you know, you're, you're kind of sort of falling. You know, he's become a a hero in this, in the context of the story, right? Yeah, I guess the the question that I had around that is, um, you know, well, first off, is he is he dead? Do we think do, do we think that that was a death dead dead death permanent thing? I mean, we we just had the ruse last week of of Amelia Clark as Gaia getting shot in the chest, and you're supposed to be like, oh my god, like they you know, Gravit caught her and he killed her. 
Now, none of us really bought that. We thought that that was probably going to play out in some way. The very first thing they do in this episode is show us that she had also treated herself to the to the Super Scroll powers. And so she had the Extremis. The Extremis saved her life. She was fine. We, we know that, that that was probably not something that happened for Talos. And then in this episode, we see Talos get shot. And then we also see him get stabbed by Gravik. And yeah. when Fury leaves, you know... It, it seems pretty pretty clear that that Talos is dead. You'd think, but do we think that that's the end of it? Is it now going to be? Is it now going to be Gaia and Fury teaming up? Maybe, but what, what what my problem with with that particular scene was in the in the heat of the battle, right? Only a few people have actually noticed that um, Talos is not human, right? Mm-hmm. Why didn't Nick Fury pick him up and throw him in the back of the car with the president and so that he could still continue the ruse of there there are no aliens? Because, I mean, obviously it's going to expose the fact, or maybe he's going to go to Area 57 or whatever it is in Nevada, but now all of a sudden it's going to be exposed that, there's, that there are aliens on Earth. Not that there, I guess, with the Avengers and all that kind of stuff, there are aliens on Earth already, but you know what I mean? Like, like clearly Thor is not from planet Earth, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I don't know. I found this one confusing, too, because essentially what happens is that the the president's convoy gets attacked by Gravik and his scrolls, who are all speaking and portraying themselves as Russians in order to start uh, World War III so the humans will wipe each other out. But then it turns into a firefight where they're basically like, you know, going toe to toe when they comb through the, you know, like we see a bunch of the first, the Secret Service uh, troops and 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 um, officers getting shot. So we know that a bunch of them went down and then we see a bunch of the, the scroll slash Russians being shot and we see that scrolls revert when they're killed. So in the aftermath of all this. Wouldn't they be like, hey, how come there's like 10 green guys here? Like, it wouldn't just be Talos, right? Right, right, yeah. But I think the idea of this episode is that the cat's out of the bag, right? That now multiple people have seen Talos and have seen, you know, other Skrulls, so the aliens are among us, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But as as I'm th- sitting here thinking about it, another problem I have is why wouldn't, why hadn't they already changed the president into a Skrull? Well, because why bother if you if you have somebody as close to him as the Rhodey Skrull is? Why mm, why okay. do you need to if you're basically gonna have somebody who's like right there? Although you're you're right, like why 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 go that far and not go one step further? I guess probably because it's harder to get uh, the president separated from any other people so that you could then you know lock him up and steal his identity and everything else. But I mean, you'd think they would figure that out, but yeah. For quotes, I had a uh, a fake Rhodes quote of I DDT'd him off the top ropes in yeah, reference to, yeah. to firing fury. Yeah. Um, and a fake quote because when you have the, the standoff between Fury and his and his wife, my fake quote that didn't happen but definitely should have was uh, consider that a divorce from, uh, mm. from Total Recall. Mm-hmm. So they got close of like not sure if we're supposed to uh renew our vows or or get divorced but no 
you know, consider the divorce yeah. is where so I how do they not going. shoot each other if they're that close together? That's what I don't understand. Like, well, I thought he was intentional for both sides. Yeah, both sides. Both of them couldn't be couldn't bring themselves to kill each other. I think that's the that was the point of that conflict. Right? Oh, okay. I think the okay. idea was right. they both deliberately missed because they both genuinely cared about each other, but they also realized that that was sort of the end of their marriage, their dynamic, mm. whatever. Okay. So one of the things I noticed in that is she called him Nick. And nobody calls him Nick. Yeah. 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 Well, I guess if you're, you know, an alien, beautiful alien woman, you can call him Nick. I don't know. And interesting that, you know, they, they did take a minute to sort of explain why she chose the character that she chose, right? Well, yeah, that was actually quite quite well done. I thought she was good. The, the um, uh, Charlene, uh, yeah, I thought she was really good. Um yeah, that was sort of obviously Jaime. You and I both sort of alluded to that in our in our pitch for this one. We got caught up in the pew 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 of it all, but that was sort of the central dynamic. Was you know when we figured out that Priscilla was in fact working with Gravik and the the separatists or the or the you know the, the hostiles as it were. Um, you know, was she going to be sent to kill? Fury, she was, and then they have this great, you know, they sort of have the first scene where they meet in Paris, and then they parallel that scene when the two of them are sitting at the dining table, clearly realizing that, you know, this is the end for them. One way or the other, uh, I thought that the, the scene between the two of them was, was really quite good. The only other quote that I had was the uh, when Ritson says, uh, when he notices that um, uh, Scroll Rody is clearly kind of hammered. Is like, did you pregame for our meeting with the Russians with half a bottle of bourbon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get me a mint. Yeah. <laughs> Get me a mint. Um, and the Easter egg I saw uh, at that one point where uh, where they're fighting and uh, Gravik uses a Groot arm. He reaches out and sort of does a move. It's interesting because they haven't given... So in, in the comic books, the Super Scroll has been a character for a very long time. And the Super Scrolls abilities are mimicking that of the original fantastic four so we've got uh, mr fantastic stretching we've got invisible woman's invisibility we've got uh, and force fields and we've got the things rocky uh muscle appearance and we've got human torches flames here they've clearly given him a multiple abilities based on what we saw in, in the previous episodes and we'd seen the extremist before we saw him in the last episode the extremist keeping him alive when he gets his hands stabbed through and then this one, now we get to see Groot, but the Groot almost kind of had a bit of a Mr. Fantastic stretchy kind of vibe, as well as a thing kind of clobbering time kind of vibe. So it's interesting how they're obviously diverting away. We haven't introduced the Fantastic Four into the MCU yet, but it's interesting that uh, that they're kind of doing things differently, but also parallel. I thought that was that was interesting. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Coming back to the president's car, why didn't have airbags? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, those <laughs> things are like, again, I get that it was a missile strike, but like those things are legit tanks. The the, the vehicles that they yeah, have yeah. for for the president are like, yeah, I don't, like even if it ended up upside down, he probably would not have been uh, too hurt. badly hurt. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, again, artistic licensure, whatever it's services, yeah. the plot, but it, it felt a little, little thin. Mm -hmm. So. This is one I wanted for the big question. So I saw a story today that Kevin Feige confirmed that Rhodey has been a scroll longer than Secret Invasion. Oh, yeah? Hmm. So I'm thinking back to previous appearances in other things. 
Mm-hmm. I'm very curious. And my question was, how long has, quote unquote, Rhodey been a Skrull? We have seen him on TV. He was in the beginning of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, obviously, we've seen him here. Was that him next to Tony Stark when Tony Stark died at the event in Avengers Endgame? Uh, I'll, I'll be curious to see if they do lay out any kind of details or timeline or sort of, yeah, get to the root of this conspiracy. And it does sort of spin back to, like, again, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier of it all. Um, you know, we talked about Sharon Carter, right? Sharon Carter is the, is this sort of mastermind criminal thing. Is that... Is she a scroll? Like where? Like, yeah. I don't know. I'm curious to whether this expands or becomes even bigger, or if this is just going to sort of like wipe the slate clean at the end of this somehow. Because wasn't he? He was the other Iron Man dude, right? Yeah, he was War Machine. Two or three. Yeah, or War Machine. Yeah. I don't know the prequel problem. Well, people. Well, um, yeah. People. Uh, this is not my idea. I saw an internet meme on this that it happens in Iron Man 2 when a completely different looking roadie walks through the door into the courtroom. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Did you just look like Terrence Howard? <laughs> yeah. Everybody's like, yeah, no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Yeah. Uh, two more episodes to go. Um, hopefully, hopefully a good landing. Yep. All right. Let's move to the watch list. Let's see you guys got some stuff. Mm-hmm. A couple new things coming this week that uh, I'm looking forward to. So season two of Foundation on Apple TV Plus drops on July the 14th, the Friday. Um, I enjoyed the first season. I am not burdened by baggage of reading all the yeah. Asimov books. It was a little uh, all over the place if I'm honest, the first season was a little hard to follow at times because it does take these huge time jumps and there are sort of, they sort of tell you the story and then sort of sprinkle in some, some background as you go in a few spots. But I thought the performances were strong. I thought the visuals were amazing. I thought it was original, which is something you can't often say about sci-fi. Um, so I enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to seeing if they can build on that i'll be curious to see what the sort of long-term plans for this are because um you know season one i think some people really respected it and i think that's where i fall in i respected it and i enjoyed it but i don't know if if it has legs or if this is going to be something that should go on for years and years and years so i'll be curious to see what they do to build and course correct in season two yeah there's a character in the second foundation book that's really interesting and but and it's been copied over the years and stories and stuff like that the the, the i'm not going to go into much detail about it but I, i'm really looking forward to how they portray that character because some of the things like this the the whole emperor deal with the three people you know the three clones who become the emperor that's kind of new to this show i don't remember anything specifically like that uh, it might have been mentioned in passing kind of thing but wasn't like a central character um and the Harry Seldon character does pop up a few times throughout the, throughout history because the whole idea about prehistory is that he's supposed to have figured out through this mathematic formula or whatever um, significant things in society that are going to happen yeah. or civilization are going to happen. And he pops up at those moments to sort of say, OK, now that you're at this part of the game, um, that'll be interesting to see what happens with that. Yeah. But it's been enjoyable. I mean... Like I said, there are bits and pieces from it, but I mean, I think where people's problem with it may be that the first Asimov books were written in the 50s when sci-fi was a very different place. You know, it was like 
20 years before we landed on the moon, for example. Um, uh, I mean, the writers of the time did have, you know, space travel and stuff like that in mind, obviously. Um, but it was all conceptual, right? And um, so, and and the way Pulp Fiction was written back then to how, you know, movie plots and stuff like that are written today, people expect much more sophisticated writing and, and um, you know, more detailed, you know, effects and that kind of stuff than you would have gotten. A lot of stuff in, in the early sci-fi books were meant to be your imagination, right? Uh, filling in the blanks, but. Yeah, so I'm looking forward to it. I'm not really. I'm. You're, it is that much different from the books for me that um, there are touch points in it that I do recognize, but I'm not holding them to it. It's not like a Lord of the Rings remake where you know they have the plot line is pretty pretty well laid out, right? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it'll be interesting to see if they can sort of continue and and as I say, fix, fix a few of the things that people were criticizing. But uh, but yeah, looking forward to it. Uh, and the other one that I had was uh, Justified, which was one of my very favorite series uh, from the previous mm-hmm. decade, is returning in a limited series. Justified City Primeval uh, starts on July 18th, and it is, uh, as as with the show, it's supposed to be 15 years later. Raylan Givens is in uh, Florida. He's no longer uh, back home in t- Kentucky, and uh, it's supposed to be this sort of uh, story about sort of where he is now with his daughter and everything. So, uh, yeah, I'm kind of curious to check back in with uh with Raylan Givens and see what's going on with him and uh I I really enjoy that character in that world um I'm not sure if it'll be the same without some of the supporting characters I'll be interested to see who they might bring back for cameos and different things but um but yeah I'm I'm definitely curious to see whether or not this will work I know they did base it on another um another book in in the series so um hopefully that's a good sign and uh yeah i'll be be curious to see if this is as good as the the shows that became before it well justified is in heavy heavy rotation these days uh i think it's on fx and um i think it's on one of the services i want to see amazon maybe so if you, it's if you on Disney Plus, up. I think, because Disney Plus is, uh, oh, is it? Fox okay. assets, and Fox assets are on uh, Star, right? So, yeah, but I just I just happen to notice that it's it's been on television, you know, and like so much so that it's like one show after the other. It's not like we can repeat it over time. It's like you know, kind of like how they do Friends and Seinfeld and stuff like that, where you just put it on the channel, put your head back, and enjoy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, actually, what's it called? Just watched. Anyway, what do you what do you got first, I mean? I have a show that I didn't even realize was coming back for a fourth season. It seems like it was supposed to come out in January, and it just started here in July. That is season four of Miracle Workers, this one entitled End Times. So this is the one with uh, Steve Buscemi and Daniel Radcliffe and the whole cast of characters who each season has been a different set of folks in different time periods, different contexts. This one is a post-apocalyptic Mad Max Road Warrior type world. Uh, Previous seasons have been, uh, let's see, The Old West, uh, Angels and God, and I forget what season two was. I'd have to look that one up. But there you go. Comes out on, uh, I think, TBS here in the States. I'm sure it must be available somewhere in Canada. Yeah, we we get TBS up here. I've watched watched, uh, a couple of seasons of Miracle Workers. I think I watched the first season. Um, But, uh, and coming back to Justified, it's on Disney Plus, it's on Amazon Prime, it's on CTV, and it's on FX now in Canada. So, yeah, there's no excuse. Get on it. 
<laughs> Mind you, I should talk because I think I've watched one episode of my life. So, oh, it's it's so good. It's uh, each season. It's it's a little bit like um, he's a marshal, right? He's yeah, he's a marshal, and he's in Kentucky. He's been away for a while. He comes back home. His his you know relationships with his friends, his relationship with his family are really complicated. It's it's just it's a really interesting dark. Um, character study of of all these different people and their relationships and just um yeah it's 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 super super well done and they're just i mean so many incredible performances in that show i i I really do recommend if you are into that sort of crime noir it is very much crime noir just set in kentucky and it's it's really really good cool all right well, I guess that's it for another week. So, Jonathan, if people can get in touch with you, where would they find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and threads as at JPK News or on YouTube at youtube.com slash at JPK. And Jaime, people get in touch with you? I'm on Twitter as at Deb of the Hair. <laughs> okay. And I'm, my name is Timitra, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A, on all of the things. Um, so Twitter, Mastodon, so um, threads. Blue sky. Um, Yeah, just about everything. Instagram. So, yeah. So, until next time, we'll see you in the future. Bye. 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 You've been listening to the Spotcast Podcast. This is John Luke Picard. Shut up, Wesley. Sorry, say again. Just the tag. Gotcha. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the Spotcast website at spotcast.com. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at SpockCast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskSpockCast. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at Patreon.com slash SpockCast. You can find details on how to help us on our website, SpockCast.com slash SponsorUs. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the future. from uh it used to be on the end of a show there used to be somebody oh it was uh just for laughs just for laughs Remember? Oh, right. okay just for laughs the little guy would come on at the end and go it's over yes that's right yeah man that's right why these things are in my head i do not know but there they are question i wanted to ask you guys and i can't remember what the heck it was i remember I, having this thought the other day i was like i should totally raise that as a, as a spot cast question but it's eluding me now i can't remember what it was 37? Yes. What is... No, that's uh, 42. I'm thinking something else. Yeah, what's 6 times 7? <laughs> How many miles does a man have to walk in another man's shoes before he gets to know him? 42? Mm, what? That's one of the things from uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. They're trying to figure out what the question could be if the answer is 42. And that was yeah. one of them is how many miles do you have to walk in another man's shoes before you truly oh, I see. know him? And the answer is but 42. The actual question was, what's six times seven? Six times seven, yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah I was discussing that with my daughter the other day. We're, the fact that uh, 
we from I I read her Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy at a very young age um, because it's one of my favorites, and she loved it, and we reread it together a few times, and. Um, we read yeah trilogy in five parts yeah yeah well it's we've read the trilogy together but we never read the last two parts together she sort of just oh really aged out of it and didn't really have a lot of interest and i always thought at some point that maybe she would pick up the books and want to go through it herself but she we were talking about the other day and she sort of said you know yeah i kind of you know i feel like what the second and third parts aren't quite as good as the first part i said no the first part is like a masterpiece the second and third mm-hmm. are, are really good but they're not quite as as great as the 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 sum of it but it is still worth finishing the the quadrology of a trilogy to to sort of get the whole story i think i have a dvd of the original bbc show which which is how i first came across it yeah yeah i i bought that uh like a number of years ago we sat and we watched that and uh, mm-hmm. it's just a wonderfully british 1980s yeah. sci-fi campy delightfulness yeah Especially with the practical effects, oh, second head on so Apple good. But some of the like some of the actual like performance, the delivery, the performance are freaking hilarious. That show mm-hmm. is hilarious. I love Marvin, Marvin the Martian. Oh my god, like, Marvin the Robot. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. I, I mean, the movie version is is fine. Obviously, it's much bigger scale. But I, I have a real soft spot for that old TV show. It makes me laugh every time I watch it. Mm-hmm. And same thing with the book. I can I could sit down and pick up that book and just start reading it and finish it. Like, I just, I love that book so much. I probably read it, I don't know what, 10, 12 times in my life. Like, it's just so, it's so well written. Adams is such a funny writer. His turns of phrase, the dryness, it is, oh God, it's such a great book. It's an all-time favorite. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I remember you and I saw that in the theater, the uh, the movie version. and. Mm-hmm. When, when I, his, have, I have the uh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, as I say, when I remember when his name came up on the screen, everybody because we saw I think the opening night when his name came up on the screen, Douglas Adams, everybody applauded, and I remember thinking like mm-hmm. that's not something you see in a movie theater very often, but everybody there was clearly an Adams fan and applauded when we saw his name. I thought that was really sort of a moment. One of one of uh, our friends of the show on More Than Just Code, I interviewed him. Is a, a developer named James Thompson actually wor- actually knew and worked with Douglas Adams. Oh, cool. Yeah, in fact, some of the features in his app were, were and it, the icon on his app is 42. Nice. Yeah, the the app icon, but um, yeah. Yeah. Foster, used to meet him at, uh, at like, Macworlds and places like that. Yeah. Foster has a, uh, a Venn diagram shirt of uh, the 42 in the middle and then the different uh, overlapping answers, which always makes me laugh. Mm-hmm. My all-time favorite, though, is I, I bought a shirt for her when, when she was little. Uh, which I'm sure you remember, Tim, is a bright orange shirt and has a uh, a whale and a uh, pot of petunias falling on on the shirt, and it says "Oh no, not again." Um, if you get it, you get it, and if you don't get it, you won't get it. But I just loved the sort of subversive nature of this child wearing this shirt as a little nerd test around in the universe. And there was a number of people that would stop and be like, "That is an awesome shirt," and yeah, she was very mm-hmm. proud of herself. Well, it's like speaking. Speaking of, I, I just I heard about this ladder. You've heard about the ladder I heard some, somewhere in the Middle East, where um, some church, the Pope gave. They couldn't decide which of the various Catholicisms were going to get control over this church, so he gave it to all five of them equally. And so, any decisions that have to be made about the changing of the church or whatever have to be unanimously decided by the five people. Oh, right. And this is going back three hundred years, right? 
So there's, there was a ladder left by a stonemason or something leaning against the church, which has been there for 300 years because nobody can decide or agree on what to do with it. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> so there's even like a rail around it to protect it, right? So the holy, holy mason's ladder of Antioch, you know? Yeah. I heard a great one a while back. I don't know if it's apocryphal, but it was, uh, I think it was ancient Sumeria. Um, I may be mistaken on which ancient world it was from, but uh, mm -hmm. when they were debating a subject, they would debate it once sober and once drunk. And if it made sense oh, both yeah. times, they would agree that that was the right way to do it. Really? I think it's how Einstein discovered the um, theory of relativity. Once sober, once drunk? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what he used to say. If you if you can't explain something, if you can't explain something, you don't understand it well enough. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you can't explain it sober or drunk, you don't understand it. <laughs> Which explains Xcode, doesn't it, Jaime? All right, it does. Um,